93.7 Express FM. Hello and welcome to this repeated edition of the Express FM Coronavirus Special. This is where we are going to bring you some answers and some clarity and support as to how the coronavirus is affecting you and your area. Hopefully, we will be able to provide you some answers and update you on the implications that it's going to have on your street, on your household and on the city of Portsmouth. We're going to be hearing from the leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. We'll also hear from an educational point of view from Amanda Martin, who's the president of the National Education Union. We'll hear from Mrs. Lally as well to find out what we should and shouldn't be getting from the pharmacies. And we'll also be hearing from Professor Jackie Castle, who is the deputy dean at Brighton and Sussex Medical School to try and understand a little bit more about the virus. And then a little bit later on as well, we'll catch up with SJ from All Cool Signs to talk through the mental health implications that COVID-19 and self-isolating might bring to us in the coming days and weeks. As always, of course, if you want to get in touch at any time, you can do. You can send me an email, robbie at expressfm with any queries or concerns or worries or questions that you want answering. Just email me, robbie at expressfm.com and I will do my best to answer them for you. Right, first guest, we're going to come straight to the leader of Portsmouth City Council, Gerald Vernon Jackson. Hello. Good evening, how are you? Very well, thank you, and thanks for thanks for joining us this evening. It's a bit of a mad time for everyone. Um, yep. f- first of all, from, a, from, from your point of view, can you just, uh, in sort of simple terms for us, bring us up to date with the, the council situation at the moment and where you sit? We'll get into the 12-point plan in just a second. Okay, so what we're trying to do is, is two things. First of all, to try to make sure that people who are um, need to be at home and away from everybody else are supported at home so they, they don't need to go out and they don't need to put themselves at risk. Um, and the second thing we're trying to do is to make sure that we support the hospital to be able to provide the services that they need um, when we expect there to be more and more people going into hospital. Um, so we're trying to free up beds for them uh, in nursing homes. Okay, and the the 12-point plan itself, it's obviously it's, it's quite detailed. You can find it. Um, it's available at portsmouth.gov.uk and it's 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 essentially setting out, I suppose, is the, are these more guidelines or is, is this more just to support people? It's to support people. The, the council's job is not to give out guidelines. That's the government and the medical, chief medical officer's job. And, and we're, we're not in that business. We don't want to contradict anything that's coming out from central government. What we're trying to do is to, is to put in place things to support people here in Portsmouth. So we're writing to 26,000 uh, people uh, this week, um, people who get bus passes, mm-hmm. to um, because because they're they're pensioners, um, to to say, look, if you if you are having to self isolate at home, and you haven't got anybody else to go and do your shopping for you, or to go and do your collect your prescriptions, we've got people who may be able to do that and give you a hand, so that you don't have to come out of isolation to go and uh, to go and get those things. Um, we're freeing up beds in nursing homes um, tomorrow as well. Um, some shops are, are opening earlier um, for pensioners to be able to get out and get their shopping done when it's quieter. Um, and so people are contacted us saying, look, the bus pass doesn't work until 9.30 in the morning. Um, can we relax that? So we've relaxed that so that people can use their bus passes all the way through the day. Um, so we're trying to do as many things as possible to support people to make sure that, that people are kept safe. 
And you mentioned that you're you're writing out, uh, I know, directly to, to the elderly and, and to disabled residents and whatnot to let them know what the city council is doing. One thing that I, I pick up on that, where where the the pace that this situation is changing at? You know, you've seen Boris Johnson giving a giving a, a talk to, to the telly and everything every single day. Is there a yep. worry here that there's going to be a slight delay in what's implemented and, and when it comes to helping the most vulnerable? Uh, no, because um, there's a helpline there. Um, now people can call the City Council um, any time. Uh, we've got 3,500 people who volunteered to help in the city. So I think there's, um, uh, there's really good stuff going on. Um, and I'm sure if people are at home and can't get out to go and do their shopping, can't get out to go and get their prescriptions, I'm sure the City Council can help. Um, we're operating through an organisation called The Hive, which pulls all the voluntary organisations together um, in the city all, all at once. Um, and they operate out of the central library, right next door to the council building. So we, I think things are moving well, but you're right, we have to do it at pace. And I suppose people's, people's next question will be, is this, is this a sustain, you know, it, because we don't really, obviously the, there's such a big unknown here as to yeah. how long this is going to go on for. Yeah. And, and you mentioned that you're pulling together a lot of volunteers and everything. How sustainable, what's the sort of conversations around sustainability of this and how long this can keep going? Uh, and we don't know. Um, what we have to do is to, to do it day by day. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the feeling in the city is incredibly strong to say that people want to um, to help their neighbours, help their friends, help their relatives, uh, and, and help people they don't even know. So I, I think we're, we're in a good place. Um, there is clearly masses and masses that we will need to do, uh, and things will change all the time. But I think there's a huge generosity in the city of people volunteering to help, uh, and, and we're putting everything at the council uh, on one side to be able to, sh- to make sure we support local people. Okay, and, and I want to just go through this this twelve point yeah, plan a little bit yeah. quickly, if we if we can as well. Sure. Um, I noticed you, you you say you've written to to all main supermarkets to ask yep. uh, to meet with them to understand yep. how we can we can protect supply of all goods. And of course, this is something that is, you know, not only in Portsmouth; it's affecting the entire country at the moment. Uh, have yep. you uh, has that happened yet? And or, no, it or hasn't, if... but I hope it will happen next week. But but they they've already put in place things to say that. Uh, people can only buy three of any one thing um, in supermarkets, so people aren't able to hoard, um, and that's good. When I went to um, Tesco's yesterday, um, there were quite a few empty shelves, um, uh, and it's right that the supermarkets are putting in place things to make sure that um, goods are available for everybody. And in terms of, you say, you say that the, the main supermarkets and whatnot, what about, the, I mean, this is going to kind of come on to what I want to talk about a little bit about self-employed and small local businesses, but what yep. about things like independent businesses? Because they're not necessarily, as you said, this is only advice. This isn't really yep. things that are necessarily being implemented or, or a law or anything like that. Not yet, um, but I think that's coming fairly soon. Okay, and what we what what is your sort of advice now then to the to the independent local businesses in in Portsmouth? How susceptible are they at the moment to sort of? I, I think it's it's a real risk to the whole economy. Um, I think we we're in a very very difficult place. Now, what I hope government is going to do is to say to all companies, um, don't lay people off. We will pick up the wage bill. In this really difficult time, the worst thing that could happen is masses of people to be made unemployed 
uh, to lose their livelihoods, lose their businesses. And, and that's the reason government should be stepping in at this, this time of a national crisis. So I think we, they need to think about this being like the war and trying to make sure that after the war we've still been left with all those small businesses that are so important that if we're not really careful, they'll be massacred. And what do you think, oh, and in terms of Portsmouth, though, in terms of how we can locally help people, is, is, well, that, is that also an option? Yes, if, 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 you, if you're able to shop locally, you're able to use local, uh, local people, if you're able to keep funding the people that you, that you you'd normally do, um, however it is, if, if you get somebody in to do your garden and you pay them, keep doing it. Um, if, you, if you go to a local shop, um, the whole food shop or something like that, keep going to it. Uh, if you use, um, I think, restaurants and Restaurants are going to be really pushed, but okay, order a takeaway because that's still okay. Um, we don't want to be left after this with with a, with a city where we've stripped out all those small businesses. Mm-hmm. And I, and I suppose equally the pressure now. I, I know that this this twelve point plan came out before five o'clock yesterday, so it, this wasn't in response to the to the news yeah. of of closing the schools tomorrow. Um, how I, I know. Point 10 is, is we're looking to, to see if we can provide food for yep. children. Currently, you've seen free school meals. Yep. Uh, is that, again, is that something that is developed? And, and yes, what also no, is now the response to, to well, schools people, closing? So this afternoon, I was with people, and, and we were talking through some of this. But one, the first thing we have to find out is that when the government announced the schools closed, were closing yesterday, they said they would stay open for key workers. Mm-hmm. By 2 o'clock today government still hadn't told us what a key worker was so we don't know how many kids we're going to look after nor do the parents know if it covers them or not so the first thing we've got to find out from government is which which kids are still going to be in school and therefore how many schools do we need to keep open um and of course the council doesn't run most schools now they're all independent academies and so we have to persuade people that that's they're going to keep working the second thing we have to do is to work with the providers of the um, of the meals, um, school meals, that they're going to keep doing it. Now, some schools cook it on site, like Springfield, and that's sometimes easier to do that. But but we're working hard with the providers of, of school meals, and and some some schools I've heard, not in Portsmouth, but but their offer has been not great, saying that once a week we will give a kid. 10 slices of white bread and a bit of cheese and a, um, a, and a couple of bits of fruit because that can make five sets of sandwiches isn't good enough. Uh, so we're going to push really hard to try to make sure that the kids get a decent meal. So what are we hoping that we, we will get out of it? You said that wasn't necessarily Portsmouth schools that you, that you were talking yeah, to that weren't giving great offers. What's, the, port, what's the, the, the response of Portsmouth schools specifically been? I haven't got all the detail of it, um, so we're trying to make sure that there is an offer available for every kid who currently gets free school meals at school to make sure that five days a week they get a a meal. I I hope it's going to be a hot meal, but it may not be. Um, It may be that that some places provide packed lunch effectively, but at least it means for those families their kids are going to have access to a meal every day. Okay, and what I want to um, 
I want to just also go on to one final thing, if we may, as well. I, I noticed on the in the little uh, the little blurb uh, online where the where the twelve point plan is, it said that these are your initial actions to be taken, and yep. I, I suppose a lot of people are going to want to know that initial actions can can mean you know within a couple of hours right now in the in the yep. current state of things. So what yep. is what we're going to see further so, so into for, tomorrow and to, to next well, week? So, so for instance. Um, one of the places where volunteers cooked for the homeless um, uh, at one of the churches in the city, um, that can't carry on because the volunteers who, who've been providing that are in the vulnerable groups, and so they can't continue to do that. So I've been working today, uh, and we've got a new location, and we've got somebody to cook the food. So, so those people who are homeless are on, a, on a Monday would have gone to... Um, and turned up, and there would be no no meal for them because of what we're doing. They'll turn up on Monday, and and there will be a meal for them. Okay, and just just finally to just sort of follow on from that, uh, you said that of course everyone's working with it with the government, and then we're we're all going on public ad, uh, on the government advice and everything. Yep. But how how do we how would you reassure the people of Portsmouth? Because obviously every community is different. Every community relies on different modes of economic development yep. and and health yep. reassurance and things like that. How do how what is the sort of I suppose what is the the, the downright blunt way for Portsmouth to look at this at the moment as as a city in its own? That that we've got to be really careful. We don't want this virus to be worse than it has to be, and that means taking precautions. That means people who are in the vulnerable groups, so people who would have got a flu jab or be offered a flu jab uh, every winter, they need to be self-isolating and and staying away from people. That means they should only the only building they should go into is their home. Um, it's fine to walk around outside. Um, uh, for, for the rest of us, we've got to make sure that we, we are supporting people in their homes, so making sure that we look after um, our neighbours, our friends, family, um, and we, we, we've got to do this properly. If we don't and we, we say, well, it probably just doesn't apply to me and I won't bother, bother washing my hands before I see somebody else, um, more people will get this virus and people who've got underlying health conditions, their lives will be put at risk. This is really serious stuff, and we have to do it properly. And, and I know we can, but we've got to do it. Gerald, we appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for, for your time, and, uh, and we look forward to hearing more about what, the, what Portsmouth City Council will do in the, in the coming days and weeks. Thanks very much. Great. Thanks, bye. Of course, Gerald uh, Vernon Jackson there, the Portsmouth City Council leader. Thank you to him for, for his time. We're going to be speaking a little bit later on uh, as well to Amanda Martin, the president of the National Education Union at 6.30. Uh, we're going to find out a little bit of, after what we found out about the school closures, um, of course. And now I think we can speak to Mrs. Lally from Lally's Pharmacy. Good evening to you. Oh, hi. Good evening. How are you? I am. Um, very well, thank you. I imagine it's a busy time. <laughs> I think it is for everyone, everyone <laughs> in the health service, on the shop floors, and may maybe the mood of the cities, really, isn't it? If you have a look at it. <laughs> well, it's certainly, it's certainly unprecedented, that is for sure. Um, listen, I want to talk about, we get, we're going to very shortly find out a little bit more about coronavirus itself from a medical point of view. But for, for now, people out there at the moment will be thinking, what, what, what do I do? Where can I go? Uh, everyone wants a, a magic cure at the moment for this. What's, yeah. from a medical point of view, what is your advice 
if they if people if people can track this virus if they think they have it if they don't have it but are maybe worried about getting it See, the main thing is if you the new the government websites especially the coronavirus on gov uk it 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 says, shows everything that you should be doing and it there is no cure at present this is such a new virus no one knows much about it so that's why we are following the common things that have social, you know, stay away from each other, stay away from people. But the main thing is that if you feel that you've got a cough and you have symptoms, you need to stay at home for seven days. But then if you need, you've got these symptoms, with you're living with someone who has symptoms, then it's gone on to 14 days. So I think we have to listen to all these um, conditions that have been put on us because this advice about staying at home is important. It's, it's us not interacting with other people, you know. Yep. Social distancing is important. And from a, from a pharmaceutical kind of point of view, a lot of people uh, last, last few weeks have said, the, the amount of times that I've heard people say, oh, it's just a cold, it's just a, it's just a, it's just yeah. a flu, it's just yeah. a virus. Uh, and it's, for that, and for that, people like to get, they get ibuprofen and they get paracetamol. Yeah, is, it, why is this slightly different? They, they are saying that this is, from a similar type of point of view, it is a virus like the flu, but because we don't know much about it, we have to be a bit more careful because um, apparently it attacks the lungs for adults, and that's why children are a bit saved in that way, where they have certain... Um, I'm not fully to be saying... I, I don't know a lot about it in that way. That's why I was reading more about it, that it attacks the lungs, and the reason why uh, people are worried and saying it's like the flu, we just have to use common sense. But when you have underlying conditions like you're asthmatic or you're diabetic, you, then you have to be extra careful. You know, you, you have to make sure you stay away from people. And, and that's just because we don't know who's carrying it. How do we know in our population we could have some super carriers? Mm -hmm. There are people who don't ha exhibit symptoms, but they pass it on. And this happens in society. It does happen. It's a really, it's something that's just come out of the blue, isn't it, for all of us. Never envisaged something like this happening immediately after Brexit. Poor Boris has got all this on his plate. It's a busy time, that's for sure. Um, but in terms of, uh, if people, a lot of people, regardless of, of sort of advice, government advice nowadays, they, they think, I'm ill, I want to go to the pharmacist. And is that, are they still, are pharmaceuticals still open and everything? You can still all, go. All, the, what is happening, because we are all part of the health service, all pharmacies, not only ours, all I've been noticing, people are working up to their limit, especially our teams. We're getting a lot of prescriptions now electronically because what's happening is GPs are doing telephone consultations and online, um, you know, consultations as well. And then they're sending prescriptions to us. We, as a group, we have thought about it and we are going to, we do do a delivery system, but we will be increasing our deliveries and increasing our drivers should a case reason arise. The only thing I think is we all have to be sensible. Use the NHS sensibly, not just like if there's a delivery system out there, don't just use it because you're too tired to go out or unless there's a lockdown, that's a different situation. Yep. But otherwise, please... Let, let us all help each other and use the NHS wisely. That's the main thing. And, and about this, um, I know I shouldn't be saying it, but like panic buying, there's plenty out there. We have to be a bit careful because everyone should be able to get 
paracetamol or ibuprofen if they need or, yeah. or any of their inhalers because we've suddenly noticed a lot of people who are asthmatic, we're getting lots of prescription, not for one inhaler, two or three. There's no need to stock up. Yeah. So the problem is, how do we know the supply chain? None of us know it. Believe me, because India is the world's greatest exporter and they have put a stop to paracetamol and certain other items. And that's where I think we all have to be a little bit sensible and mindful that there's others around, you know, for your neighbors and other people. Yeah. That's why you've got to limit what you need to buy. Just like the hand sanitizer gels. I mean, today I had someone calling me and saying, I can sell them to you at this price. And I thought, this is ridiculous. <laughs> because if you imagine if you put that on a shop floor, the public is going to think you're minting, making money. And you're not. You, you are actually just selling it at a price that you're getting it with the VAT and a bit on top. And it's not worth it. So I think basically all of us have to be mindful. Pharmacies will be open, I'm sure, if, if it reached to that situation, um, health places, hospitals, GPs. But we'll all, we, we don't know how we'll be working then. So something will definitely be put in place and we will all react because that's what we do when we work. And I think we're a well, great country where we all work to help each other. We are. You know, we are great. And we've got, we've got to look at goodness, the positive side. People like to criticize. It's not worth that because now let's help each other. Positive thoughts breed positive attitude. Hey, hey, it's and, that. and you know what? In the, it's, it's been amazing. Some of my own members of staff have sent us text saying, should you need me to do any hours outside, you know, which I need it, I'm available. I, and members of public have approached my husband saying, we are willing to help you to deliver free. It's just a service we feel we need to do for mankind. Also, that was wonderful to yeah. think people like that exist, isn't it? Well, in times of crisis, we do a good job as a yeah, nation. We come together well. Listen, uh, we're a bit pushed for time. So, Mrs. Lai, thank you no so one. much for, for joining uh, and us. Thank you. Thank you. You all do a great job, too. Keep a cheering, cheering thank the you nation up. Just great songs all day long. 93.7 Express FM. Welcome back to our Express FM coronavirus special with you until seven o'clock this evening, trying to bring a bit of clarity to you uh, and to your families and to the community of Portsmouth as to whether or not coronavirus, well, of course it's going to have an effect, but what kind of effect is it going to have? What kind of impact are we expecting? We've heard from it uh, from a sort of political point of view, speaking to Councillor uh, Gerald Vernon Jackson and Mrs. Lally from Lally's Pharmacy a little bit early on as well. Now joined on the line by Professor Jackie Castle, who's Deputy Dean at Brighton and Sussex Medical School. Good evening to you. Hello, thank you for inviting me. Well, thank you so much for your time. I imagine, uh, I imagine at the moment, what, what is the kind of conversations that are going on in the, in the medical field? How confident, I mean, it's a big question, but how confident do people seem uh, regarding sort of finding a cure for this and, and clamping down on it? Well, there's various things in, in that question. I mean, I'd just put, at the moment, we've just brought forward our finals because we are concerned that in a week's time, the hospitals will be filling up quite a lot with, with people who have needs related to coronavirus. So, so I would say it's not so much about cure, about thinking how we manage this, this epidemic. Now, along the coast in, East, in Sussex, Southampton, Portsmouth, quite a lot of older people. And what we do know is that older people get really, really sick, um, much more than younger people. And so this policy of self-isolation, as was mentioned earlier, is really important. Um, 
there's unlikely to be a cure in the sense of treatment. When you think of influenza, we do have treatments that you can take to shorten the duration of symptoms, but you take mm-hmm. them after you get a fever and you and they, they just shorten the duration a bit. They don't necessarily deal with the transmission. I was going to say, do, do, we, do we actually, we, we, I suppose we don't cure a cold, do we? We don't. You get better. Um, although there are, methods, but I mean, for influenza, we do have, there are viral illnesses where we give a treatment to shorten the duration of symptoms. But that's not really on the cards in any hurry for, for this. And what is, uh, it's something that's come up quite a lot recently, a lot of people have asked mm. the question of, the fact that it's people are saying it's hard for it to spread in in big crowds because of it, yeah. you know crowded areas and whatnot. So how well, what people can't I, I can't get my head around this as well. How, so how is it spreading? Okay, so coronavirus. Most people will have a persistent cough, and when you have a cough, you cough somewhere. Mm-hmm. So if you cough into the air, there's droplets of water, and they'll be there for a bit and with their virus, and then and eventually that'll disappear. But you know, if you're in a van with somebody, if you're in a small kitchen, that's an issue. Um, if you don't, if you want to cough, you want to cover your mouth with something. You might use a tissue, put it straight in the bin. Even if you use a tissue, you're going to get a bit of virus probably on your hands. So you use a, you use your keyboard, you pick up your phone, you pick up your key, you use your, um, you pick up a, a, a sausage roll, and so that way, if you pick up someone else's sausage roll, then um, and you hand it back to them, then that's so basically it's. It's that when you cough, you can get virus on all sorts of places in the environment, and then people pick them up, um, eat something, and then that gets into their throat. It's a, it's it basically you get infected through your throat, whether you breathe something in or you put something through your mouth. So um, probably the most important bit of hand washing is never put anything without in your mouth without washing your hands. So I, so I suppose it's it's kind of strange then, because it, it, in a way that kind of contradicts social distancing and it more more than anything it contradicts don't use the same things as others you know don't use the same the same bathroom ideally don't you you know or same tap or whatever so is is these kind of a balance well social distancing is about reducing the number of contacts you have and if you think of a contact as a using the same door handle and it might be using the same keyboard i mean basically if you the further you keep people apart, the less they're going to be in touch with all the things that you can contaminate. So if, for example, you, um, if you're living in a household, but you're not, you're not in the same room where you might cough, you're also not touching a lot of the same things. Because, in fact, if you, you, know, if you do studies and you watch what people touch, people touch loads and loads of things and they touch their face a lot. There's this amazing study, somebody had put some ultraviolet um, sensitive, um, visible paint on a, a toddler's hands and they went into the nursery and then it was absolutely everywhere all over the world. So we really un- underestimate how much we touch. And that's so they're not opposites or different things. They're, they're sort of part of the same thing I would, as I would see it. And you mentioned that we, we, we are, so we are more susceptible to this in the South, the fact that we, we generally are uh, a more elderly population. Should, so I suppose people should be, should be even more wary down here. Is that right? Well, it's not so much that people should be more wary, but we've got a lot of people who will be vulnerable to severe outcomes, to getting very ill with it, or to, you know, the, in, in, in Italy, and this is what I think pushed up the, um, ramped up the guidance last week. Mm-hmm. In Italy, um, the death rates and the rates of being seriously ill are much, much, much higher in older people. And so that is, that is really what's driving the strategy. You need to protect those people who are, 
who are the vulnerable because they're older, and those, as your previous caller said, um, who people people who are vulnerable because they've got other things already challenging their bodies. And in terms of so we we mentioned the south then i'm going to i'm going to move move from the south straight into china because we've seen we've seen of course uh, china now starting to close some of its covid-19 hospitals and they're reporting no oh. new cases um what what's the likely cause then of this slowdown i know i know is it purely down to the fact that they've been on lockdown i think what um infectious disease people are sort of looking very hard to see is what's going to happen next in China. Mm-hmm. I mean, will there be people who have sort of asymptomatic transmitters in the house? Is it going to re-emerge internal cases, which I think most people think is fairly likely? Um, clearly, there's a lot of it in many countries. So, you know, it's going to, there's a risk of it being re-imported. Clearly, their new cases at the moment are, are re-imported. I mean, I think clearly China and Italy had a problem with completely un- anticipated new disease huge numbers of cases, overwhelming health services. And so they've got that down now to, um, to a situation where health services can function and they've closed all these extra beds and so on. But what will happen next, I think, is very hard to see because there's clearly coronavirus out there. Um, yeah. a lot. So I don't think we know whether they're going to be back to where we are now, where we have a fairly small number and, a, you know, as yet, a small number of deaths, every death from this is um, a terrible tragedy, but we do have small numbers. So what we're at the moment looking to manage is protecting those people who are most vulnerable, but also to manage the, 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 the needs of health services so that we don't, so that we can manage within the services we have plus some, rather than the kind of extraordinary um, sort of extraordinary sort of overgrowth of that we simply can't look after those people. So looking after the health service as well as looking after individuals and preventing certain individuals from getting it at all, we hope. And of, and of course, in China, it's taken the best part of sort of two and a half months, really, for them to crack down on it. And obviously, they, they have a much bigger population than us. Are we What factors are going to affect whether or not it, we see a similar timescale in the UK than what, what China's seen? Well, question, think, but sounds... <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, interesting. I mean, the, the Prime Minister's briefing just now, he was talking about turning the tide and sending the virus packing. I think, I wouldn't see it like that. I do think that the, the strategy we have in place is really, really good. And um, it's much harder for some people if you live in a multi-generation household or somebody's confused or you know, it can be really difficult to protect those people who need to be protected. But... If we manage to, if, if we manage with a mixture of measures to ensure that those people who get really sick don't get it, that, that is really the strategy. The idea, I think it's very clear we're looking to mitigate and delay and keep some people sort of sequestered away. That's the strategy. I don't think anybody knows how long that will take. Um, I think two and a half months and we will feel, oh, we're back to, um, you know, normal. I think that's very unlikely. And I think we will see a lot of changes of policy. And that's what you expect um, with infectious outbreaks like this. And I think living with the uncertainty of this, um, you know, I'm confident that there's a really good strategy in the UK, but the uncertainty and the changes is going to be really hard for us, actually. Okay, listen, we'll leave it there for now. Um, Jack, Professor Jackie Castle, thank you, thank you very much for your time and for that, for that insight as well. That's, uh, that will have, I think, reassured and sort of brung a lot more clarity to people. So thanks very much for your time this evening. Thank you.
Professor Jackie Castle there, Deputy Dean at Brighton and Sussex Medical School. Uh, thank you very much to her for coming on. It's 6.38 and it's Robbie James with you until 7 o'clock this evening. We're going to speak to uh, SJ from All Call Signs uh, just before 7 o'clock this evening to find out a little bit more about the effects on people's mental health that this is going to happen. But now we're going to come to the President of the National Education Union, Amanda Martin. Amanda, good evening to you. Good evening, Robbie. Thanks very much for your time this evening. Uh, first things first, what was, uh, what was the initial reaction for you and, and for your colleagues uh, when, when, the, when the big announcement was made at just after five o'clock yesterday? Well, I guess, firstly, um, the initial reaction was, as the National Education Union had written twice to the government to ask for some clarification, um, for us it was a relief that we finally had some information because up till that point we were relying on head teachers, leaders, schools to be doing their own thing and the Ash Education Union actually called for every single thing that the government uh, listed. So they didn't reply to us in our letters but they did reply when they gave their press conferences and when Gavin Williamson was at the um, dispatch box yesterday. I guess the problem is They've replied, but they haven't had any detail. And if they'd spoken to us as trade unions, we would have been able to have a further conversation to explain the implications of some of these things. And, and I saw someone forwarded me on a, a post from your, uh, I think it was your, from your Facebook page. It was outlining a, a call that you had last night with, with you said it, I think it was like nearly 2,000 people, wasn't it? Yeah, and, uh, yeah we had 2,000 people on a phone line yesterday. Okay, and and I saw that there was a there were a load of questions and and answers that that were there. Talk us, um, obviously there were there were a lot of them, but talk us, give us a summary of the kind of thing that people are asking and the kind of thing that people now want to want to know and what answers you you were able to give. So I guess it comes into a number of categories. One is uh, let's take the key workers for example. What does a key worker mean? Uh, you know, in, what's the implication of having those children in in schools? Mm-hmm. Secondly, what is a vulnerable pupil? Um, and the implication of having those into schools. Thirdly, what does school close mean? So, you know, does it mean, it does mean it's not everyday business. We're not open for normal business. It means schools will be operational. There will be, it will be education, but it will be in a different way. This is exceptional times. And then there was the clarifications around examinations. Um, So those were the kind of the main areas. And also because we're a trade union, it's around protection of members because, the day before that, the government had announced the social isolation group, and we had put advice out to our members that if you are in that social isolation or someone in your house is in that social isolation, then you should not be attending work either. Um, I want to, in the time that we've got, I want to uh, very simply break this down into three. I want to break it down into the, the teacher impacts, the, the, the pupil impacts, and the parent impacts. So, so first, first, we'll start with teachers. So what in a practical way and in a financial way, what kind of effect is this is this happening on teachers that that you know of so far? So with regards to to education, I mean we we want to do the best that we can, yeah, and we sure. are wanting to work in open schools. So the impact is going to be on numbers of children and also personal circumstances within schools of how many people we can have in. The government have pledged that there will be funding. So we should be able to make sure that schools aren't acting at a loss because we are currently in a deficit anyway. Well, fund, you know, funding deficit of not enough money. But um, impact on teachers, it's going to be a change in how you teach and what we're doing. So we are. So we will see we will see them still teaching, but teaching remotely that this is still going to be a thing. No, there'll be schools will still be open because we have to open for vulnerable pupils. We have yeah. to open for key workers. So there will be education. 
Uh, it won't be business as usual. It won't be everyday curriculum that will be being taught as year one, year two, year three, year nine, year ten. It won't be like that. There will be a different kind of education going on. But we are massive, prof- you know, we're hugely professional people and we know what we're doing. So just, just so I've got this clear. So you, you say that we'll be teaching. Is that is that just teaching for those that are having to come in, that, uh, that, that have to come in because of their circumstances, because of whatever their parents are having to do? So there'll be, two, there'll be two ways. Every single school has an ability to put um, education on an electronic platform. Mm-hmm. What we don't know is the accessibility that every pupil has to that platform. So that's something that will have to be considered and is still being considered. Remote learning, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, and it's things that, that schools and local authorities are beginning to come together and plan. Banks of resources. I know Portsmouth, for example, the Ports of Education Partnership, because I've contributed to it have got a bank of resources that they're putting out for parents to be using at home. So we have to look at what that means by expectation, what that means about learning. We aren't expecting parents to be teachers for their kids, but, you know, it's a guidance around a bit of fresh air each day, um, you know, guidance on snacking, guidance on, like, learning, all of those things. And what the NEU is hoping to do is produce on their website. At the moment, we've got a coronavirus link, but actually put something on there for parents as well. This sounds a little bit, you know, when people say to you, I went to the University of Life. It sounds like we're going to have people say, I went to the university, uh, the, the school the school of life in the, in the future. It, it, from a parent's point of view, because I suppose... Pupils at the moment, they're, I mean, you know, completely understandably, they're, they're young people. This is a, this is a very overwhelming and, and, and big thing for them to deal with. But from a parent's point of view, they're obviously the ones that, that, that sort of have the experience of the world and know where, where, they're, you know, where they'd maybe like their, their children to go in the future. What advice would you, would you give to them in the, in the coming days, in the days that they have to try and explain this to their children? I think in the coming days, parents need to remain calm, explain to their kids that it, this, is, this is exceptional circumstances. It's an opportunity to do some learning at home. It's an opportunity to bake, to do all of those other kind of things. But I would say to remain calm. It isn't something the norm when they return to school, whatever point that will be, their teachers will be there. They'll be able to return back to classes. You know, it's a temporary measure. Um, and it's about being calm and about kind of making it as, as uh, having conversations is what we need to be having at home. And from a from a, a, a point of view of, of the pupils, how from what you've seen in the last, I mean, I, you know, the last 24 hours, I know it's a short span of time, but from what you've seen, how generally are children reacting to this? And how should we, what should we look for in, in our children and in terms of their, the sort of the way that they're going to tackle this? Well, I think there's some initial excitement. And if kids are excited, we should let them be excited as parents at home. We shouldn't give sure. them the doom and gloom. We should let them be excited. They are kids. Um, and putting a routine in place would be helpful for, for parents and for kids. So some are excited. Some are very fearful. And if we go into that category of GCSEs, I mean, SATs, you know, as the NEU, we don't want them anyway. So to us, it's a way we think it's brilliant that they're not going ahead. And probably most year sixes will begin to think that. But when we come to GCSE and A-levels, I think that we do need some kind of clarification and clarity for those pupils because many of them are fearful. I want to be able to say to them, and tomorrow I'm going to do a video for the National Education Union specifically to pupils to be saying, teacher assessment, your teachers know where you are at. They aren't going to just take your mock results. There's going to be all of the work you've been doing over three years or two years, depending on your GCSE or A-level, will be taken into account. So do not panic. 
this isn't the end of your life or your world. It is going to be okay. And across Europe, they don't take exams at 16. There are teacher assessments. There are end-of-year qualifications, as in a certificate of education. Sure. There's one one thing. Uh, unfortunately, we're running quite behind time. So I just wanted. There's one thing I want to clarify before before we go. Um, and, and it is exams. That's been the talking point today. There's been a lot of speculation about how this might be resolved. Uh, what are the options from from uh, from an NEU point of view? The option is teacher assessment. We are professional people. We know where our kids are at. We know what they've achieved. We know what levels they're working at. And we believe you don't need to put kids through any further exams. Doing that would be just detrimental to them. They need to be able to move on in September to their next schools and places of college and work, etc. So teacher assessment is there. It's in schools. We know what we're doing. Sure. All right. Listen, Amanda, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your, for your time this evening and uh, all the best. No worries. Thank you very much. Press FM. Passionately Portsmouth. Welcome back to Express FM Coronavirus Special until 7 o'clock this evening. We're going to talk to SJ from All Cool Signs in just a second. Uh, plenty of really nice things going on in and around the city. Plenty of acts of kindness. We've seen B&K Southsea. They are offering uh, 50% off their total food and drink bill for all NHS staff uh, up to the value of £50. We've got Jerry Williams, uh, our very own local singer-songwriter, doing a sort of a special in-room concert this evening from 9 o'clock on Instagram. So if you had to uh, head to her on social media. You can find that. Pie and Vinyl as well. They're open as normal, but on their website, they are, uh, they, they, of course, they give away newly released records and you can request a record um, and they'll order them for you. And uh, if you pop it in your must-buy section and they can deliver them, they're also open for collections as well. And finally, this one that was nice this afternoon, we've seen that chefs from Port Solent's India Key have vowed to cook a free meal for up to 100 vulnerable residents every day. So there are plenty of acts of kindness going on and around the city. It's a difficult time for everyone. Um, uh, SJ from All Cool Signs, good evening to you. Thanks for your time, mate. Hi, yeah, no problem at all. Good to have you on. So, of course, uh, for, for those that don't know, All, Ki- all Cool Signs is a peer-to-peer communication app. It's for veterans and serving military personnel, and and uh, and they offer, uh, well, they're manned by volunteers who um, offer sort of, I suppose you offer time and you offer support, which is uh, something that people need a lot of right now. Yeah, it's just making sure that people have an ear to listen when they're feeling anxious or low of mood. And in terms of uh, now, I want to talk about the mental impact, of course, that it's going to have on people that are, regardless of whatever situation they're in, a lot of people self-isolating. But firstly, I want to come to the impact of just the fact that we have a global pandemic and and the uh, so, sort of, you know, you think about this in, in large terms, that currently the, the world is very un, unhealthy physically. So what kind of impact is that going to have on men, on people mentally? Well, I think it's going to have a huge impact on everyone, even if, it, even if you're not someone who identifies as struggling with mental illness in general. Um, it's natural to have some anxiety when so much of the news that we're hearing day in, day out um, is negative. So um, the first thing that I want to say is just to encourage people to just accept that it's OK to kind of have uh, anxious feelings um, around the news surrounding coronavirus. Um, that's perfectly normal. Um, it's just important that we remember that, you know, it's not all doom and gloom um, and try and take away the positives of having some, some more time at home and the things that you can do um, to make the experience a little less uh, glum. I saw a I saw a tweet earlier this earlier this week, I think, and it was from 
from Express FM's very own Mason Jordan, and it, it was sort of saying along those lines, the fact that now we, in, in, a, in a mad way, it feels like Christmas a little bit, doesn't it? In the sense that we're, we're all suddenly bunged into our houses with our families again. And so I suppose there, there are, in a, in a roundabout way, I mean, you know, Christmas time is, is an unhappy time for a lot of people, but in another way, this could be a time for a lot of, a lot of good and a lot of settling down because the, the world's a ridiculously busy place with so much information. Yeah, it's almost worth chucking the Christmas tree up, isn't it? Because we all know what to do with two weeks off at Christmas, but we've all had it sort of thrust upon us. Yeah. And everyone's a little bit confused and scared and anxious about what to do with that time. Well, I suppose that the, the main thing for a lot of people, uh, the people out there that what, are just worried about their income and worried about their jobs. And I suppose that's a big impact. You can you can relax at Christmas because you generally know that you're going to have a couple of weeks off and you you know it's, it's paid holiday or whatever. And it's something that you do every year. This, however, th- this is you know, there is uncertainty about jobs. And so I suppose this is different and this is tough for people. Absolutely. And I think everyone has kind of really valid concerns at this time. You know, some people are worried about money. Some people are worried about where their next kind of food shop's going to come from with kind of all the craziness that we're seeing in the big supermarkets. You've got people worrying about how they're going to arrange childcare and still manage to do work if they're working from home. Um, There's lots of concerns that come from not really knowing what's going to happen next. Um, But I think an important thing to bear in mind is that, to a degree, a lot of this is outside of our personal control. These are decisions that are being made by government. These are decisions that are being made on a very high level. So as much as it's natural to feel worry about those things, just bear in mind that worrying about it isn't going to power you to change those things. So we've just got to try and stick together as much as we can, rely on our family and friends, um, and just trust that, you know, we're going to get through this the other side. And if people are are having to self-isolate. There'll be plenty of people that have, have already had to self-isolate and they'll, I mean, they'll know what emotions they're going to feel from it because they're feeling them now. But people that are, that are maybe knowing that they're going to have to in the future, in the coming days and weeks, they're going to know that they're going to self-isolate. Sure, I, I imagine, especially from a, from a sort of a, a military point of view, um, you know, being in a confined space and not being able to really move anywhere or go out anywhere or do anything or, or have much freedom is something that is, I assume, what kind of emotions are people likely to experience for this and what should they prepare for? I think people are going to be worried. I think they're going to be concerned. I think they're going to have questions that they want to answer, like do they have enough food to last if they have to self-isolate for two weeks? Are they stocked up on cleaning supplies? Do they have enough money? Are they going to make, be able to make work um, kind of, work um are they going to have enough things to do with the kids are they going to be able to keep them occupied um how's this going to work if it goes on for longer than two weeks and these are all valid concerns um i think the best thing to do um and one of the things that i like to do is kind of make a list of all the things that are concerning you and then start coming up with some proactive things that you can do uh, to combat those issues or those concerns so all in all, it might feel a little bit overwhelming, but once you start to make a list and you start ticking them off one by one with some actions that you can take to alleviate some of those concerns, the whole thing becomes a little bit more manageable. Sure, and and how do people... You say you say list those concerns and whatnot. How do people actually come to sort of come to terms with them, and how do people bring themselves to do that first step to make, to make that list? How do people sort of organise their mind? I think you've just got to step back from the whole thing for a moment and just take a breath. Just kind of get yourself into a calm space. Actually get a piece of paper and pen out in front of you because that's actually quite helpful. Um, And just take the time to go, I'm worried about, and then just write that down. And then come back to the list afterwards and go, here's something that I can do to try and combat that worry, to try and make things better. Um, 
And then there's the actual kind of being isolated for, for two weeks or maybe longer, kind of what do you do in that time? Um, how do you make that work? And it's quite easy to slip into bad habits when you don't have anyone to answer to, when your sure. boss isn't in the same room as you and things like that. You know, it can be quite easy to slip into just sticking Netflix on for, for 10 hours a day and, and not doing very much. But where possible, you need to try and stick to the routine that you had when you were going about your, your life before you were isolated. So if you were getting up at a certain time, keep to that routine. If you were having lunch at a certain time, keep to that routine. Sure. And you, and you yeah. met, it's gone. I was just going to say, don't isolate yourself any more than you have to. So um, just because you have to stay indoors, you've still got your phone, you can still make video calls, send texts, go online. Try and take advantage of the fact that technology now affords us to be connected even when we're, you know, stuck in our houses. Sure. Uh, And where can you mention that the fact that a lot of people aren't going to have people to sort of keep them into their routine, if that's your boss or whatever, but a lot of people that are alone at the moment and having to stay in their home alone. What where can people go if they're feeling sort of if they're feeling lonely or if their their mental health is worsening? Where would you what would you advise the first steps are and where do they go? Well, if this is someone that has already kind of identified themselves as being mentally unwell and they usually have support systems in place, a lot of those support systems will still work, they'll still exist. So, for example, if you're under a mental health care team, um, even if they're not offering face-to-face appointments anymore, they'll probably still be offering things over the phone or via Skype. So um, if you need to, make investigations into how you can still get support even though you're isolated. If you're somebody that is just you, you identify yourself as mentally well, but you're just worried that being alone and being isolated for long periods of time is going to have a negative effect on your mental health, then start looking to the community around you. It could be family and friends. It could be the people that you normally work with. If you're not seeing each other face to face, set up a WhatsApp group or something similar where you yeah. can still communicate and share stories throughout the day as you're working on things. Okay. Look to your local community. So. For example, down my road, um, I put a note through people's doors and just said if anybody's worried or isolated or, you know, wants to have a chat or needs somebody to go grocery shopping because mm-hmm. they can't leave the house, that kind of thing, just give us a call. And, you know, now we've got a group of, I think, 12, 13 people from just literally on my road that are now joined in a WhatsApp group and communicating. So SJ. there's plenty of ways that you can you can stay connected to the world around you, even though you're isolated. Brilliant. Listen, thank you so much for your time, SJ. Appreciate it. No worries. Cheers, guys. A big thanks to SJ and to all of my guests, of course, to Councillor Gerald Vernon Jackson, the leader of the Portsmouth City Council, who was on earlier, Mrs. Lally from Lally's Pharmacy, Professor Jackie Castle, uh, of course, from Brighton and Sussex Medical School, and also Amanda Martin, the president of the National Education Union. Thank you very much to all of my guests, and thank you for downloading this as a podcast as well. We'll keep you updated on everything COVID-19 in the local area. Keep an eye on our website and keep listening to Express as well for further updates. Thanks for listening.